0: Amen. So, what a great uh, week we've had. Amen. Um, we uh, we had a wonderful time with Life Action, and um, I was really just impressed. Uh, a lot of things that happened through the week. One was just how their team uh, was just really Joyful and present and um, uh, available. And, and I know time you walk the building, they're very aging and friendly and uh, really uh, curvy around. Um, and then I was really proud of church. And I know you must be proud, but uh, just to see every serve every night, um, just how full church and, and here, but the, uh, to be responsive, and uh, courage and, and worshiping. So, uh, did you have uh, just amazing time? Uh, had a very uplifted uh, roofing time. So, um, some may be curious about um, the love offering. You know, when life action comes, um, you know, they they depend on uh love offering to help support them on the road. It costs them about fifteen thousand dollars uh every week for them to be on the road. Um and so you know, that kinda of averages out. some churches here, some are smaller, uh, but uh, they need fifteen thousand dollars to do that. so um I read right to say that we did not raise fifteen thousand um, dollars. I'm happy to say we raised 5000 dollars. <laughs> so um uh, just wonderful generous. Amazing that the church, bike came to and really blessed life that blessed us. So uh, thank you all for everything uh, that we have. Amazing how uh, we were so amazing. Um, so Ben really ready while preach um, on the message about to, to um, we go with the David and as we jump in uh, to the life and story of it. One of the things that the life is characterized by uh, is his uh, response to giants. Uh, you know David. One thought is that a giant was was um, Goliath. We don't know often. Is that a lot of life? Uh, Figure of giants, and some of them uh, he handled. Some of them uh, got their own. and we're going to look at all of those uh, through the next ten weeks or so. Uh, we'll see how it giants. And the first one that we're going to see is that he faced the past, and what we need to realize as we jump into the story of his anointing, is that this giant is one that I would say most people are dealing with, maybe more than any other. Um, past shame, past failure, past guilt, uh, past abuse, uh, past hurt, uh, unforgiveness, uh, broken relationships, addictions, uh, all these things that, that we carry on into our lives. And uh, I, I just want to remind you, who is the one that reminds you of your past? it's your enemy, the devil. He, he loves to remind you of your past, make you feel guilty, bring it up and, and accuse you with it. Who reminds you of your future is the Lord Jesus. Uh, he has a plan. He has a future for you. And what we focus on, our past or our future, uh, determines how we're walking through this life. So uh, we're going to see in David's life, he had a lot to get over. Um, But as we do, let's uh, stand as we read God's word this morning. We're going to begin in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where we first meet David. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. David said, or the Lord said, uh, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Now well, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and said, do you come peaceably? And they're trembling because uh, Samuel is a judge. Um, They're not sure why he's there. And he says, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Uh, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord, this is very important, verse 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called the Benadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ready. Um, means he's bright red face. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome, so we all hate him. <laughs> and the Lord said, no, we, we love him, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, as we hear about this anointing, Lord, we, we seek an anointing as well, that our hearts would be like David's heart, seeking after you, and that your response, Lord, would be to, be to pour out your spirit on our lives, in our hearts, Lord, to uh, confirm the faith that we've expressed, Father. I. I believe so many are reaching out for you with everything that they have, Lord. They're calling on your name, seeking uh, your face and seeking your blessing, God. And I pray that you would respond with grace and peace and power and purpose, Lord. I I pray that uh, as you respond to that cry, God, that uh, there would be a wonderful Um, blessing for the future, that uh, homes uh, would be restored, that um, lives would be touched, Lord, in our workplaces and our families, God, that there would be um, just a more uh, enjoyment of who you are in, in worship, that we would have a sense of peace that would cover uh, every situation, no matter what the situation is, that there would be a sense that you're with us, that you go before us and behind us and with us, and Lord, we uh, we have a, a purpose in what we're doing, where we're at. Help us to keep our eyes on you, God, as we give you all glory thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few characters that uh, are mentioned here. I, I cannot assume everybody knows who all these people are or exactly what's happening in the history of Israel right now, so I'll just explain it. Very briefly, uh, it starts with this guy named Samuel. Samuel is called by God to anoint David. Um, but how many of you know that there's already a king in Israel? Okay, his name is Saul. Saul uh, seemed like a perfect fit for king. I mean, he was, came from a good family, um, he uh, was first born. He uh, was tall, and that's uh, always uh, a blessing to be tall, um, not a blessing that I was uh, blessed with, but um, but there again, I mean, here's the thing, is that when you have a leader of this nation, I mean, don't you want somebody you can pick out in a crowd? I mean, it just makes sense that he's going to be tall so that we can say, who's our leader? Oh, it's that guy, his Head sticking up, that's the one. Not so good in a battle, but pretty good for direction. So Saul's a leader, and then um, he doesn't have a heart that's after God's own heart. Everything outwardly seems great, um, but inwardly he doesn't trust the Lord. He trusts himself. He wants to do his own thing, and several times um, he just does what he wants to do, and God says, I've rejected him as king. Um, I have somebody who has a heart after my own heart, and I'm going to show you who that is. Now, <clears throat> that's Saul, but Samuel is, he was the judge and he was the leader of Israel before Saul was king. So he's uh, this guy that God has blessed and anointed. <clears throat> he's, a, he's got a special place in God's story because he is not only the judge. Before there were kings, there were judges, you know that? There were judges in Israel. He was the last judge of Israel. He was a great judge. He was a godly man. He was a priest. He was a prophet. He was a kingmaker. um, But he had sons that did not follow in his footsteps. And so the people are are afraid that Samuel's going to die. One of his sons is going to become the leader of Israel, and they're not going to be godly people. They reject that. They want a king, give us a king. And Samuel's pretty upset, but he goes to the Lord with it and God says, give him a king. That's what they want. So Samuel finds Saul. Saul is rejected. Now Samuel goes and finds David. This is the the situation that David's coming into, okay? He has two powerful leader still alive when he's anointed as king kind of intimidating would you agree that that might be something you might be a little bit fearful about like you're going to be anointed king when this guy who the people are trembling samuel people are trembling when he comes into your village not sure what he's going to do because he's got that much power that much respect within the the community that they don't know are they going to be judged by him or what, what's he bringing? He's going to anoint David. Now, here's the thing about David is that um, there's no rhyme or reason to uh, the fact that he has any worthiness to be king. No sense that he should be king. No, no sense in the family that they should have uh, leadership in the community. No sense even in their tribe, except for one thing. There's one thing in their, their tribe's history, the tribe of Judah, that kind of leads them to think maybe there, there could be a king, which is that a uh, long, long time ago, Jacob had blessed Judah and pronounced a prophetic blessing on him that, that they would have a king, that their tribe would be a ruling tribe. But otherwise, um, there's a lot of sketchy, Shameful history going on in the tribe. Now, let me just help you to understand the giant of David's past um, is so huge; it actually uh, it, it actually affects every aspect of of his, his whole family, his tribe, and everything else. It starts with the tribe of Judah. Judah was uh, the fourth born son of Jacob. Okay, the the son of Leah, um, but Judah has this, this strange thing that happens. Anybody know the story of Judah and Tamar? You don't. That's good. I'll tell you. Here's what happens. Uh, all the the tribes of Israel are uh, the sons of Jacob. I'll say there are twelve sons, twelve tribes. One of them is Judah. Now Judah has three sons. The first son he gives in marriage to this lady named Tamar now the Bible says that this son was with and God put him to death he dies before he has children under their law and under their culture what happens is the next oldest son marries that lady and is supposed to have children with her for his brother that's what they do. Now, this son, I'm going to keep it PG, uh, refuses to have children with her, and so God puts him to death, okay? Now, Judah has one more son. Do you think that Judah may be a little nervous about having this son marry Tamar? So he's still kind of young, so he kind of uses that as an excuse not to marry her off or him off to her. And uh, she's getting a little antsy because he's growing up, and now he's, he could be married to her, but he's not being given. And so she decides to trick Judah. And here's, here's what happens. Judah's wife dies. He's grieving. And Tamar dresses up and pretends to be a prostitute. Judah comes by and sees her, and he goes in and uh, sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. He doesn't know who she is. He finds out that she's pregnant, and he's about to have her put to death. She says, well, the father of my child is the owner of these things, and she has a staff and a ring, and those are his things, okay? He he gave to her as as, uh, a payment, basically. And so he says, oh, that's my stuff. Uh, Apparently, you're more righteous than I am, etc. So Judah is his son's grandfather. Make sense? He's his grandson's father. Okay. Because he has a child with her. She is supposed to have a child with his oldest son. But this is the family line of Judah shameful embarrassing, and what's interesting about this is the Bible doesn't hide it. if that were in your history, you think you might kind of shuffle that under the rug like and not mention it, like we don't talk about that part of the family anymore. it's it's kind of it's kind of embarrassing they just Lays it right out there. Here's what happened. Um, but that, that's the least of, of David's issues. Okay. So, so he's got this thing about the tribe of Judah, it's kind of embarrassing. Now, anybody ever read the book of Ruth in the Bible? Who's 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 uh who would say Ruth is their favorite book of the Bible? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> Continuing on here. So Uh, The the book of Ruth is David's family history. That's the point of the book, is to help us to understand where David comes from. Now, uh, what happens in the book of Ruth is that you have a lot of things happening, a lot of shameful things happening. You have uh, the hero of the story is a guy named Boaz, Boaz. The the kinsman redeemer. He's going to redeem uh, Ruth uh, from basically becoming a desolate woman. Um, But who is Boaz? Boaz is the son of a prostitute named Rahab. In the Bible, there are a few people groups that uh, God says do not intermarry with them. Do not allow them into the congregation. Do not partner with them. Do not make covenants with them. And the first group that God says not to do this with is the Canaanites. And here's what happens. The Israelites have wandered in the desert for 40 years, right? And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And the first place they're going to go, remember, is Jericho. And the first thing... Okay, right out of the gate that they do is they make a covenant with a Canaanite. Okay, it's like, guys, we just told you, don't do this under any circumstance. Do not make a covenant with the Canaanites. And the first thing they do, make a covenant with a Canaanite. So they go into Jericho, the spies, and Rahab hides them. And they say, oh, we'll protect you. And so they make a covenant with Rahab. Rahab gets married to an Israelite man, has a son named Boaz. So already kind of sketchy. Okay, next thing is there's uh, uh, the issue of Ruth herself, who is a Moabite. Guess what? There's another group of people that God says, "Don't ever intermarry with them, don't have anything to do with them, don't allow them into the congregation. And there's only a few the Canaanites, the Amorites, and guess who else? The Moabites. Where do the Moabites come from? <clears throat> you know this, right? you love this. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 19. Anybody familiar with Genesis 19? Anybody ever heard of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, so God says, these cities are so absolutely vile and wicked that I am going to destroy them completely in a miraculous outpouring of my wrath. Okay? He rescues one family out of the cities. Who is? Lot and his family. Now, his wife turns and looks out of rebellion and she turns into a pillar of salt and she, she doesn't make it. So, Lot and his two daughters go and they hide in a cave. Some of you know this story? And the daughter's Think I guess the oldest one actually is the one who thinks this that uh, the whole world has been destroyed. There's nobody left. Okay, we have to populate the earth. So get a lot drunk and sleep with them and. Have Have children by him. Okay. Firstborn son of the oldest daughter with her dad. Name is can anybody guess? Moab. That's not even the worst part. (laughs) The that's not the worst part. As bad as that is, this is where these people are originating from. And so. They continue on. They're kind of cousins with the Israelites, et cetera. The Israelites, again, coming out of their 40 years of wandering, they're ready to go into the promised land, and they go through the land of Moab. And in the land of Moab, these people, who are basically their cousins, should say, hey, hey, great, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Here's some food. Here's some water. I'll help you however you need to help. Maybe we can get a little bit of the blessing that you guys have. But instead of doing that, what do they do? They refuse to help them at all. And they hire this guy named Balaam to, to curse them. Remember, Balaam is the guy who his donkey talks to him. Well, he goes. He can't curse them. He blesses them. So instead of pronouncing a curse on them, what do they do? They decide that they're going to try to create a wedge between the Israelites and God by um, seducing the Israelites with their women, adultery and idolatry. And they introduce maybe... Forgiveness, it may be any number of things. But you need to be aware that your power, your strength, your purpose comes from your connection with God. How's your connection doing? You just ask yourself that question. How's my connection with God? How How's my time with God? Am I spending time with God? What's keeping me from that? Anything that's keeping me from that, I need to recognize and eradicate. Um, I, throughout the... Uh, Conference this last week, there came a point where you know they're asking us to really dig in and think about and pray about anything that might be idolatry in your life. You remember that that evening, and I'm going through and I'm praying, I'm thinking, I'm I'm really like trying to let the Lord speak to my heart on that issue. And I came to this conclusion in my own heart that um, on my my phone there. Were a couple of different apps that I was using that are not bad in them of themselves, uh, but they were distracting, and they were taking a lot of time out of my my day. And I would start my day, you know, looking at those apps instead of getting into the Word. And anytime I had a free moment, I'm going to those apps. And I don't know what that is for you, and maybe it, maybe you don't. Struggle struggle with this but I was struggling with it and I just deleted those off my phone. And what I find is that I don't have this urge to get on my phone so often. Facebook, okay, was one of them. You just oh and I don't I don't post a lot of stuff on Facebook, but I do snoop. <laughs> like what's going on? are people saying, and scroll and you just, how, you, know, you just, you find yourself scrolling, 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 and I'm never, hardly ever, almost never, encouraged by anything I'm seeing on Facebook, are you? You go on Facebook, you're like, yes, so good, man, I'm glad I got on Facebook today and spent an hour scrolling through everybody's stuff. Deleted it off of there. I still have Facebook. Uh, It's on my computer. And if I need to go and check something out, I can go check something out. I just took it off my phone, the easy access. Those things, those wedges, you just recognize what they are in your life. What's distracting you from the Lord? What's keeping you from time with God? What is consuming your mind? And be aware of that. So Um, David has to deal with this family history, this baggage that that he has. Now, here's what we have to understand about um, our history. I said this earlier, and then I had uh, somebody kind kind of... not correct me, but, it, but give me a different insight that I hadn't really thought of. I I thought, you know, our genealogy is not really, for most people, a huge issue. You know, where you come from, your family history, that kind of thing. For most of us, it's just like a curiosity more than anything else. Um, but, but I was reminded uh, that for some people, it is a big deal. Um, for those who who've experienced adoption um, and that kind of thing, that that, that is a major source of, of identity. Um, and so, I, I, you know, the, the issue is this, that wherever we come, whatever it is that our family history is, um, there are so many different ways that we uh, identify ourselves as individuals, that we have to be aware where our true identity is, okay? And our true identity, and you all know the Sunday school answer is where? Our true identity is in Christ. And that's what God wants to remind us of, but what our enemy wants to remind us of is of past failure, past shame, whether it's something that we did, or something that somebody else did to us, it really doesn't matter. It, it could be something that's not, in any way, shape, or, or form, your fault. It's just what happened to you. Okay, it's what somebody did to you, uh, how they treated you, how they talked about you. Um, it could be your family of origin. It could be um, so many things. So, well, let me just share with you. I have a, a bit of a list here of, of things that tend to be ashamed of, and identity, and unfortunately, which is, uh, see if this hits home for anybody. Uh, maybe it's addiction. Uh, you're ashamed of a past addiction: alcohol, drugs, pornography, um, gambling, shopping. Uh, something that you just have not had the control of in, in the past, and it began to, to take over your life. And there's a shame in that, that there was a failure to get a handle on it before it got out of control. Um, maybe it's a failed relationship, um, divorce, um, which may or may not have anything to do with you or anything that you did. Um, or maybe it is something that you do take the blame for 100% and you can't get over that failure. Um, or an estranged strange relationship with a child, with a grandchild, with a parent, with a, a friend or a sibling that is broken and nothing that you can do or have done has been able to repair that. And you're carrying that shame around. Um, maybe it's a failed um, expectation. You never got the degree that you thought you, that you would get or the job that you thought you would get or advanced in your career the way that you thought you, that you would or even got the job that you, you were hoping. You never really per, pursued the career that when you were a kid you thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life, and there's a sense of failure in that. How come I didn't become the thing that I wanted to become? Um, it may have something to do with having committed a crime or been convicted of a crime or having gone to jail or, whatever, or something along those lines. There's just this sense of this is my identity. I'm a convict. I'm an ex-con. Um, and can't get through the fact that that's just how you see yourself. Or how people, how you think people see you. Um, maybe it's a, a lost job. A job that you used to have, that you loved, and, and you lost it. And you just regret whatever happened, whether you did it or not, why why that job is no longer in your life. Or it might be just a self-control issue. Maybe it's not an addiction, but it's, it's borderline. You can't seem to get on the right track with your health, with your eating, with your money, with your, what you think you should be doing. And that self-control, you're just ashamed of how, how often you seem to fall into whatever easiest. Um, it can be so many things. These are, these are things that we carry around that we identify ourselves with and we look at ourselves as if we're this failure. And, and I guess here's what I want to tell you is that um, <coughs> that's not a issue. Yeah. We all fail in many ways, and Scripture tells us that very clearly. We're all weak in many ways. And the, the great thing about Scripture is that instead of hiding the past, what we would think are shameful things, it highlights them. Because in the highlight is when we see the redemption, and in the highlight is when we see God, grace being poured out. And so in Matthew, um, especially we see in the genealogy of Jesus, the Lord, there are five women Only in all of the genealogy from Adam to Jesus, only five women are highlighted. Guess who they are? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Solomon's uh, mother Bathsheba, and then finally uh, Mary herself. God highlights the things that we would say are shameful in our past in order to say that His goodness is bigger. His grace is more powerful, and His Mercy is more important than getting everything right, and continuing in that relationship with God is what He's really after. He wants us to trust Him, not in never failing, but in the fact that He's never failing. Amen? Well, the thing is that (laughs) all of the things of David's family history really weren't his biggest issue um, he has another issue here, which is that as Samuel uh, comes into town, Bethlehem, comes to Jesse's family, and says, we're going to have a ceremony, it's going awesome. to be a life-changing event, it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Guess who's not invited? Can you imagine? I mean, we have what, five or six living presidents, right? Carter, Clinton, Bush, uh, Obama. Right. Let's just say, I'm gonna my favorite, but you have your favorite, whoever that is, comes to Toledo or comes to Mercer County, knock on your door, says, I want to have a special ceremony, you, and your family, anybody that you want to invite, okay? Now, everybody that I've ever known that has ever met a has a picture of them shaking the hand of that president framed on their wall somewhere, <laughs> right? Even if it's the president they didn't like or vote for, it's like, I met that guy pretty big deal. This guy is going to come to your house and going to have some ceremony with you and your family, and you can invite anybody that you want. Can you get in the picture here? Samuel comes to this town. He comes to Jesse. I'm going to have a ceremony. It's an important thing. And they say, uh, yeah, we'll invite all the family, but David, eh, you stay out there with the sheep. He is not even invited to his own family's most important event in their life. In the history of their, their entire family history, this is the most important thing that's ever happened to them. Do you get the picture? And Dan, David is, is not even invited. It, can you imagine? How many, how many kids did you have? Just whatever your youngest child is, you just don't invite them to this thing. Just say, man, they don't need to be here. just just mind-boggling. I cannot wrap my mind around this, but here is what is happening. For some people, um, you have been told by some people in your life that you are not important, that you don't matter, or that you're never going to amount to anything, or that you're worthless, or that... So we have these voices from... Parents or teachers or friends or bosses or others in our life that, that have spoken this toxic message into your life. And I don't, I don't think this is everybody, but it is some people. You don't matter. And that message is what is ringing in your ears. Is that I, I never was loved by my dad I never was accepted by my parents they never said boy." this teacher said I would never amount to anything I couldn't possibly succeed and we take that failure and we carry it around and it's not even ours it's not even anything that we did it's just what somebody put on us and David by the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit he, he did not listen to that voice. <laughs> He's a man after God's own heart. It means that he pursued God. I can't get my affirmation from friends and family. I'm going to get it from God. I'm going to go to Him. I'm going to have a relationship with Him. I'm going to find my worth, my value in Him, and that's where I'm going to dwell. And he dwelt so strongly in that relationship that God chose him to be not only the king of Israel, but the prototype for the Messiah. Jesus is going to come from the lion and the family of David because he shows us that it is not by what anybody else says, not what man says, not by genetics, not by anything from our family history. It's only by a heart that seeks after God is what God looks at. That's that's our, our whole message. It's like who we are. It doesn't matter what people have said about me. You know, I get so caught up in, I don't know about you, are people going to like this? Would I say this? Are they going to accept that when I do this? And I gotta, You just get so wound up and, and, and bound up in what other people are going to think or say or feel about how you've, said or done something anybody and you have to wrestle that thought process back to what am i going to do that's going to please the lord how am i going to get myself in a right relationship with god it's god's my relationship with god and his will that is most important and everything else will follow I can't dwell on and focus on everybody's opinions and everybody's feelings. I have to spend my time connecting with God. And so I want to just help you to understand something here. Is that David said in, in Psalm 51, he said, create in me a pure heart. And I believe that David did not start with a pure heart. What he started with was a desire to have a relationship with God but he knew that God could create in him a new heart. Amen? And that's what he asked for, and that's what we need to ask for. God created me a new heart, created me a pure heart. Created, I can't m- make this happen. I can't will myself to be this way, but you can make it happen in me, and I'm just going to seek you. But I've got to get over my past, and I've got to conquer that. And so when Samuel anointed him, can you just imagine? Here's David, rejected, by every, everybody, and Samuel anoints him with that oil, and God chooses him, and it just begins to run down his face and his clothes, and he just, and when that physical oil is poured over him, the Holy Spirit confirms in his heart exactly what he's been longing for and seeking it for his whole life. God says yes to David, because David's been saying yes to God you just feel the chills? And they're just looking at that like, Him? And God says, that's the one. Now, I just want to give you this quick test. We, I just really appreciated how every night there was a test to apply what we're hearing, and, and I just want to give you this test. Um, are we victims or are we victors? How are we going to overcome the giant of our past? A victim blames. Where are you at? Are you blaming others? Are you blaming yourself? Are you blaming your, your history? You're blaming what's happened to you, circumstances, or are you believing? A victor believes. Believes in God. Believes in God's word, his will, his, what he has said about you, his promise, and that's your identity. Amen? You are a victor when you trust what God has said, and what he's going to do. Uh, A victim hides, um, and a victor seeks. When you hide, you are trying to keep everyone from knowing the shameful, embarrassing things of your life, because you don't think that they can accept you um, if they knew. A victor seeks to let God redeem your shameful past and your weaknesses and your problems so that you can have a message. I believe the Bible highlights those shameful things in people's past because God wants you to know that it is in His grace and His power that the most powerful message is going to be shared through the mistakes, not in spite of them. Not, not because they're not there, but because you allowed God to work through the failures of your past. The greatest testimonies that I know are people overcoming failures. Amen? But well, we hide those things because we don't want people to reject us. And God says, Can, just confess it. Let me redeem it. Um, one more. A victim fears... But a victor trusts, and, and here's why this happens: we we fear that our failure is going to be repeated in the future. We we fear that our the shame and the hurt that we experienced in the past is going to continue in the future. A victor trusts in a better future. In the power of God to not just redeem but to give purpose. That the grace that I experienced that made me a new creation is still available. Not just to me, but to everyone who will trust Him. Amen? So, here's what we got to understand. Whatever past thing you're trying to get over, it is a giant. There is no doubt about that. But God's bigger. And what we see in David's life is that he faces a lot of giants, and God is always bigger. And God is bigger than your past, and He's bigger than your shame, and He's bigger than your hurt, and He's bigger than your failure. He's bigger than anything that that you've ever experienced, and you can trust Him. And Father, we thank You that uh, You are greater. You are more powerful. You are more mighty. You are better than anything in this world, Lord. We We look around at our world and we know that it is broken and it harms people's souls, Lord, how broken it is and how much damage it does. But you're in the business of restoring and repairing and giving new life. And Lord, we thank you that we... Somehow, by your grace, we were included in that process, Lord, that you would invite us to know you, invite us to walk with you, invite us to have a future, Lord. And, and we not only look forward to a, a, an eternity with you in heaven, but Lord, we have a future on this earth that you've created us to be part of, to be a blessing to change outcomes, to see new life be given, Lord, in areas where it seemed hopeless. Lord, would you fill your people with such a sense of power and peace, Lord, that Lord, when we go from this place, Lord, we would uh, bring life with us. Anoint us like you did David. Fill us and confirm to us, Lord, all that you want to do. We pray that our yes to you would be met with an even greater yes from you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. The, The invitation is pretty simple. If you have a past that has been overcoming you something in your past that is just beating you down and you need to give that up and you need to lay that at the altar this is the invitation that you would just come and just lay that down and believe in a better future amen it can be shame it can be hurt it can be something done to you it can be something you did doesn't matter we just say lay it at the altar and leave it there and pick up God's future for you let's stand and sing